Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Hey, I'm so glad to be with you. My name is Nathan, and I'm from the Kansas City area. I was here about a year ago, about this time, and I'm friends with Tim Perkins and his family, and so uh, excited to be with you. They, they wanted someone to come speak that's just slightly shorter than him and just slightly less hair, okay? So I fit the bill. So you got me today, okay? So, uh, but I'm excited to be with you and we're continuing our series on the Beatitudes. And so I, th- I believe you guys started that a couple weeks ago. And um, we're talking about humility today and uh, just kind of a, a little intro story that happened to us. So several years ago, we bought a house in Kansas City and it was a, uh, a fixer-upper. Anybody ever bought a fixer-upper? Don't do it. Okay, don't do it if you care about your soul at all, okay? So we bought this fixer-upper and the dishwasher was kind of old, nasty, and so we got a new one. And it was about a year into it that uh, I come home one day and Becca, my wife, is like, hey, the dishwasher's not working. And so I, I go over to it, try to look at her, whatever. And I'm one of those guys that I'm like, I'm not gonna call somebody, I'm gonna try to fix it myself. Any other guys like that in this place? Yeah, and the wives are like, oh, I'm married to that man. Yeah, so my wife's married to that man. So I, I got on YouTube, try and figure it out or whatever. And, and I figured out, I was like, I think it's this thing that's broken and it's not working. So I found a warehouse in the area that had that part. And so I got the part, I, I, I put it on the, on the dishwasher, got it all uh, uh, screwed in and stuff. And then I, I hooked up the wires and then I, I took it and I, I slid it back in and I hit the start button. And guess what happened? Guys, you don't have any confidence in me? No, it did work. It did work. It actually worked. And so I was, I kind of shocked myself a little bit. And so, um, so then about three months later, though, that the, the motherboard thing went out on it, and I tried to fix that, and that was not happening. So I was like, okay, we got to get another new dishwasher. And so this time we got a dishwasher. I got the warranty on it, okay? I was like, I'm gonna get the best warranty. I got the five-year gold, platinum, diamond, whatever, most expensive warranty I could get. And so if something breaks, I can, you know, call them. So anyway, we got this new war- uh, this uh, dishwasher. I promise you this relates to the message at some point, okay? So, so I, I got this, this dishwasher and, um, and then about three months into it, I come home and Becca's like, hey, the dishwasher's not working. I'm like, what? Who is not living right in our house? We got Satan in our dishwasher right now. Like, what is going on? So she said it won't close. And if you can't close it, you can't run the dishwasher. And so I was like, can't close it. So I, sure enough, I went over there and I tried everything to, to close it. And so I got out my tools. And so I had my butter knife and I was, I was working on the hinge trying to get it close and it wouldn't close. Then I remembered, oh, wait, I got a warranty. And so I called him up and I was like, hey, yo, my dishwasher's wor- uh, broken. I'm pretty sure I got warranty. Y'all got to come out and fix it. Okay. So I didn't exactly say it like that, but they came out and they, they, they came out and guys started working on it. A couple minutes later, he comes out of the kitchen and he's like, uh, well, I, I fixed your dishwasher. And we were like, wait, what did, how did you fix it so fast? And he was like, well, uh, on the top tray, I looked, there was a, a knife stuck in there. And so I just removed the knife and closed it. 
Oh, you did, huh? You did? Well, did you check the oil while you were in there? Huh? What about the belts? Are the belts good? <laughs> so anybody ever have a humiliating situation happen to you in life? Been humbled a little bit? We're talking about humility today. And as we go through these Beatitudes and Jesus is, is laying out this Sermon on the Mount and he goes through these Beatitudes. And really it's a, a plan for being happy. I mean, the, the word blessed in the Greek is makaros and that is a makarios. And that word just means happy. Okay, it means, it means uh, blissful. It means being blessed. And so he's laying out a plan to literally be happy, but not just the happy in the way we think, like temporary happy, happiness. It's really the joy of the Lord. He's, he's laying out this plan. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things in, in life that try to make us happy, right? We, we think of, of external things that can try to make us happy. If I, if I buy this one thing, then I'll be happy. Or if I drink this, I'll be happy. Or if I go to these places, I'll be happy. Or if I get this title, I'll be happy. If I get this degree, then I'll be happy. If I marry this person, then I'll be happy. But the reality is, how many know those things ultimately don't satisfy? Those ultimately don't fulfill. And what's interesting about all those things that I just named, they're all external things, right? But what Jesus identifies in the Beatitudes are all internal things. They're things that he wants us to change on the, the inside. They're things that, that ultimately that we need to, to work on. So Jesus lays out this plan on things that we need to work on. And this, this whole plan of being happy, you know, we can look at, at money, power and status, all external things, those things that don't make us happy. What Jesus talks about is he's concerned more about our relationship to those things our relationship to money, our relationship to status and honor and power. Those are the things, ultimately, when we start to deal with that stuff, which is internal stuff, that's when we discover the plan that Jesus lays out to be happy. Those are the things that will ultimately make you happy. A lot of things that claim to make you happy, a lot of books you can buy, a lot of seminars you can go to, a lot of websites that say you've, they've got a plan to make you happy. But ultimately, this was written a couple thousand years ago. Jesus lays out the real plan to be happy. And it's not external things. It's all internal things, as we will learn and discover as we focus in on this one beatitude. Now, what's interesting, before we dive into this, the first beatitude that's talked about is, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of God. So you covered that in the first week when Pastor Tim talked about that. And what's, what's interesting is this whole plan to be happy ultimately can't be done on our own. In other words, if I were to just like go buy a book on being happy, it would tell me some formula that I need to do. And I would just try to implement that thing. What's different about this is it can't be separated from a real active relationship with God. Like in other words, you just can't just say, okay, I'm going to work on all these things on inside of myself apart from a real relationship with God. So the first one is those that are poor in spirit. In other words, those that would recognize their need for God. Those are the ones that are going to gain access to the kingdom. Those are the ones that can now start to implement ultimately this plan. So this plan that Jesus talks about is a plan so that we can be blessed. And it's a plan that's an internal work. And this internal work, however, cannot be done on its own, but it has to be done by giving our heart to the Lord, so that first beatitude, then the continual work of the Holy Spirit over time. This is what Jesus is talking about on how to be happy, experience the blessed life that ultimately he wants. It's a, it's a way that we are to live in the kingdom of God that ultimately comes from real satisfying joy from the Lord. So we're gonna look at 
verse 5 of Matthew chapter 5. So we're going to read this. So if everyone could stand to your feet, we're going to read this. I'll read verses um, 1 through 5. And then when we get to verse 5, I think you guys do this here to where everybody reads it together. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to do that. Okay, so I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 to you. And then when I start in on verse 5, we'll read it together. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. Okay, and back in that day, when the, the rabbi would actually, the person teaching would sit down and everybody else would stand. That'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? No, you're like, no, it wouldn't be nice. <laughs> His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. This is the Beatitudes. He said, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now let's read it together. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, today we believe that it's powerful. It's anointed, it's inspired. And we believe that you can take that and transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that you would do what I cannot. Lord, that you would work on the hearts of everyone here listening to what your word says. God, I pray that you would give me the words to say. Father, and I pray that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen our faith, and God, leave us less like this world and more like you. All to your glory. We love you, Lord. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this, this verse 5, it's almost like it's a contradiction. Okay, because it says that that the the humble, the meek, those are the ones that are going to inherit the land. Those are the ones that are going to inherit the the earth, which if you were to think back back in that day, what was valuable to them? Certainly several things would be valuable, but something would be very valuable back then was land. That's still valuable today, obviously, but land was a big deal back then because it meant food. I mean, like that's how you were going to grow food. That's how you're going to live. So land was very valuable. What's interesting about the statement almost makes it seem contradictory. Like if it would have hit the hearers back in that day, they're like, wait, are you sure about that? Uh, is that the humble back in that day, those that you would consider meek, probably weren't landowners, probably weren't the, the people ruling the world. Now, the people that were ruling the world were those that would, would rule with an iron fist. Like those that had the power would be those that would lead armies, those that would be strong and and brutes and, and those kinds of people, not the, the person that's meek, okay? So this is like, wait a minute. This doesn't seem like it's, it's accurate, Jesus. Like, wh what, are you, what are you trying to say that the meek are actually gonna inherit the land? Like, they're gonna be the ones that are gonna be owning the land. But what's, as you look deeper into this, what's interesting is this, this is actually very close to another place in the Bible that those listening may have even recognized what Jesus was saying was a close quote from the, the Old Testament. In fact, it's found in Psalm 37, one of my favorite Psalms. And notice the, the closeness of the words here. So this is Psalm 37, verse 11. It says this, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Another version says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So those listening, likely many of them would have attended a synagogue in that day, and they possibly could have heard Psalm 37 at some point, either preached on or read. So they would have been familiar with this passage right here. And they, when they heard Jesus speak, they may have even made the connection like, wait, this is what Jesus is talking about. Now, for a second, I want to take us to the context of, of Psalm 37, 
because we want to understand what it's, what it's saying. What are the verses around all of this? So we can kind of understand what the psalmist was trying to communicate. So if you look at it, we'll start with, with verse eight. We'll give us enough of the context to understand. So Psalm 37, verse eight says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So notice the contrast. Those that are evil, that own the land. Those that hope in the Lord, they're being oppressed by those who own the land. A little while, the wicked will, the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So you have this, this tension here between the two. You've got those that are oppressing that own the land, and then those that are being oppressed that want the land, that feel like there's a promise from God to, to get the land. And the psalmist is saying, hey, hey, hold on. You just need to be meek, okay? Strength under control is what we'll learn here in a, a little bit. But it, you just need to be humble, okay? God sees what's going on. Don't worry. You just need to trust in him. Now let's fast forward. Now Jesus is saying this to his disciples. What's their context, Okay, so you had the Old Testament, the psalmist, those would definitely make sense for them because that would be the Israelites who were constantly trying to fight for a a piece of land. They were slaves and then they were delivered out of that and they're trying to find their place in the world. And so that would make sense for them. But what about when Jesus now quotes this for those that are listening? So they would have recognized it was Psalm 37. Well, the, the Israelites or the people of God, the Jews, they didn't have their own land. They didn't have their own country. They were under the Roman government. The Romans ruled them. Now they weren't slaves, but they did have to pay heavy taxes. They weren't just able to do whatever they wanted. They weren't their own people. They weren't their own country. So now this starts to make a little bit more sense to them. They're like, hey, I, we want to inherit the land. We, wanna, we, wanna, we want this, what you're, you're talking about. We want this promise. And to further complicate things, <laughs> the Jews had been waiting for this warrior that was promised in the Old Testament, the Messiah, that would then deliver them from the Roman oppression. And at least that's what they were thinking. They're like, hey, we want to be our own country. And this, this Old Testament, this Messiah is supposed to come. It's going to be this warrior. Well, they didn't recognize Jesus because they thought they were, they were being oppressed by the Romans. In all reality, they were being oppressed by Satan. So Jesus didn't come to destroy the Romans. He came to destroy Satan's work. There was a greater thing at work. They were actually slaves to sin. There was something bigger going on. They were thinking a temporal kingdom. God was thinking an eternal kingdom. And so they didn't recognize Jesus. And so so you go through all of this and they're they're listening to this. It seems like a contradiction. The bells and lights go on to where they're like, oh, wait, maybe this is a quote from the Old Testament. And then now it's in the context of like, hey, the evil people have the land And God, you promised us the land. And so we're supposed to be meek. Now, what's interesting about this is the Jews probably had a different mindset than that. They wanted to get back the land, not by being meek and humble. They wanted to get back the land by fighting. In fact, you even see Jesus's disciples. If you read the gospels, they were ready to fight. At one point, Peter, one of the disciples, he grabbed a sword and he chopped off someone's ear. He's like, all right, now's the time we're going to fight. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how this is. This is, that's not how this is going to go down. Hey, he's, he's, if, if my servants were of this world, they would fight, but they're not of this world. 
So that even the disciples were caught up in this and were thinking that it was going to be, we're going to take back the land by force. They thought they were going to rule with Jesus here on this earth. They're going to sit on their thrones and have a, a great life and, and lay down and eat grapes and stuff. They, that's what they wanted originally before they started to understand. In fact, they would probably had the beatitude changed to this. Blessed are those who fight back for they will inherit the land. But Jesus says, no, that's not how this is going to go down. And we're not going to change the outside. We're not going to change the Roman government. We're not going to change something external. We're going to change something internal. We're going to change something on the inside. We're not going to change our circumstances outside. We're going to change our circumstances on the inside. We're going to change our heart because that's where true happiness is found. It's not found on the, the outside. So Jesus is trying to help them and see this. Now, let's real quick do a quick aside on, on the word meek. Okay, what does the word meek mean? Well, so it's the Greek word. Go back to the original, go, uh, paras. And, and the Greek word, it means an underlying strength being channeled, a power under control. One commentator writes this, biblical meekness is not weakness, but rather refers to exercising God's strength under his control, demonstrating power without undue Harshness. An illustration would be, it was a word used to describe a powerful war horse that was used willingly, that was willing to go into the thick of battle when urged by its rider. Okay, so, so meekness isn't weakness, but it's strength under control. Jesus is teaching his disciples that you're not supposed to just get rid of your strength. That's not what Jesus is wanting. You're strong, that's awesome, that's great. But he's supposed to take your strength under the submission and authority of God. It's supposed to, we're supposed to submit our strength to him. That's what meekness, that's the kind of meekness that Jesus is talking about. That, that's when we begin to experience the living in the kingdom, what it's all about. That's the blessed life that Jesus is referring to. It's living a self-controlled life. It's being humble even when you're paying outrageous taxes or not getting your way or you're being ruled over, which the people in that day would have understood. He says in the midst of that, the people that are meek, they're willing to control themselves and their strength and not fight back with a sword. Those are the people that are actually going to inherit the land. Now, what, what could inherit the land really mean? Like, because it didn't seem like they didn't take over, you know, the land back then. Well, Jesus was likely referring to a larger picture that one day there's going to be a new heavens and new earth. And y'all aren't going to recognize me because I'm going to be six foot six. I'm going to have a big old poof of hair. Okay. It's going to be glorious and beautiful. I, I have questions for the Lord. I don't, if he comes back and I'm like going up in the sky and stuff, will my hair regrow then? Like what? I don't know. Those are questions I have. But, but it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And likely what's going to happen is those that were meek in this life, those that chose humility in this life, he's going to say, I'm going to reward you and you are going to be a landowner then. You may not have a whole lot of influence now, you may not have a whole bunch now, but if you choose meekness, if you choose to submit your strength to God's control, then what you're going to have, I'm going to reward you in the life to come. There's going to be a life to come that's going to last much longer than this life. And it's going to be much better to be a landowner then, regardless of whether you're a landowner now. So to choose meekness has benefit and reward. And that's likely what Jesus was talking about. In fact, he'll say in some places, but many who are first will be last and those who are last will be first. He's saying like those that maybe have a lot in this life and those that have a lot of influence, that, that doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna have a lot in the next life and vice versa. 
It's about those who say, no, they're going to choose to live in the kingdom the way Jesus talked about. They'll live according to the Beatitudes. They say they're going to submit their strength, not to hurt people, not to lord it over people, but they're going to choose meekness to bless people, to help people, to honor God. And that's what we're going to see in this. So this is, this is going to be a study on, on this verse of what it means to be meek, to be humble in the kingdom of God. And I want to give you three points. Here's the first one. Humility is a choice to put others first. Humility is a choice to put others first. We have to recognize that first, it's a choice. This is what James chapter four, verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Notice that it says, humble yourselves. Like this is something that you can do. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There are things that I can't control, okay? Can't control how tall I am. Can't control how much hair I have on my head. I can't control a lot of things, but the things I can control, like I can control what I eat. I can control what kind of car I drive. I can control those things. And I also can choose to be humble. We could choose to be humble. And that's what James is asking us to do. And that in fact is what Jesus is asking us to do as well. In fact, you can see this in this story that Jesus shares. He's, he's at a, um, a party and there's lots of people there. And he notices that there's people that are choosing these places of honor, seats of honor over these other seats. So there was apparently this long table and there was some seats that are like better than others. So maybe you had a head of the table and being around those chairs would be better than the, the tail of the table. Okay, so for some reason, there was some hierarchy of seats and, and everybody understood this. And so he's noticing this thing going on. So this is what he shares. He says, when he, he being Jesus, this is uh, Luke chapter 14, verse seven. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. So you have to get up out of your seat to give way for this other person, apparently more distinguished than you. Then Jesus continues on. Then humiliated, you would have to take the least important place. All right, the only seats left are the bad ones. So now you got to go to that one. Verse 10. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Now here's the, the point of the lesson. Verse 11. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, there's that idea, humble themselves. Like it's a choice. You, we have the ability to do it. We have the ability to humble ourselves. Now, here's something to think about. Technically, we're all going to be humbled. I mean, he's saying it right there. It's, it's one way or the other. Like you can choose to do it or somebody else can do it. And how many know, like, I like... I'd like to have control over that. Like, I would rather choose humility than to be humble. And notice what he does. Not only is it a choice, but it's, it's a choice to say, you know, I want to I wanna think of somebody else. I want to I care for somebody else. Because that's really what humility, a lot of what humility is. It's like, you know, I'm not going to think of myself. I'm going to think of others. So if you use the whole illustration of this banquet thing, this party thing, you know, you would come into the, the, the banquet and you'd see all these chairs and you're like, you know what? There might, there's probably going to be someone that's, you know, going to be more distinguished than me. I want to save those seats for others. You know what? I'll just sit, 
I'll just sit down here. That's choosing to be humble. And what Jesus is saying is like, hey, then that, that's great because then you're going to be pulled up higher. Or if you're not, it's okay rather than being humiliated. So what that person did was they chose humility first, then they, did, they weren't humiliated later. Rather than saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose. I'm, I'm the best. I'm going to pick the head of the table. Well, then you, you're running the risk of being humbled. And Jesus is saying like, hey, this is a choice for all of us to where we can choose to be humble. We can choose to put others first. Let me give you an, an example. So uh, for those that are, you know, in, in a career, this, you probably run into this before in your, your job to where you might be working with someone who's kind of competitive. Anybody work with somebody like that? Kind of competitive. They're always taking everybody's ideas. There's always taking the credit for it. They're always like, you know, <laughs> uh, sucking up to the boss. And you're just like, oh my gosh, shut up. <laughs> you know, like, can I say that from the stage? Um, so, so, you know, this person is, you're just annoying or whatever. And, and what the temptation is, is to defend yourself, is, is say, you know, to fight back against them. You know what's really cool about God is he can see everything. <laughs> That's the great thing about God. Even if your boss can't see it, God can see it. God knows exactly what's going on. And sometimes I think God does this to where he puts us in those situations to grow and develop us. What will, what will he do? What will she do? What, what are they going to do? Are they going to trust me? Are they going to take the humble route? Are they going to choose humility and say, you know what? I'll, I'm going to help this person. You know what? It's okay if I don't get the credit. It's okay if I don't get that. I'm going to just, you know, Lord, you see, in a sense, what you're doing is you're choosing the lower chairs, aren't you? You're saying, oh, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to humble myself on the front end of this. But imagine, imagine how this could play out though. You start defending yourself. Let's say you go the other route where you start defending yourself. And all of a sudden the boss sees that. And it's like, man, they're like really insecure. Like they're really like, I, I don't want to promote them. I don't want to put somebody, I have a, a spot open, but I don't want to promote him or her because man, there's nothing worse than an insecure leader. So now they're in that, that but no, nah, I, can't, I can't do that. So now you miss out on a promotion. I mean, literally that's how it can play out. But when we choose humility, God sees that. He says, you know what? You pass the test. Next opportunity comes av available. Your boss looks at it, can see more than maybe you imagine and say, you know what? They're not about themselves. They care about the team. They care about the organization. I'm gonna give them this opportunity. I'm gonna promote them. I could have gone outside the organization, but you know what? I, I believe they got the heart, the character. I mean, that literally plays out. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. Maybe it's something close to that where that can play out. But it's when we choose humility that can make all the difference in the world. Where we say we're going to put others first. This is why Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. It's about looking at others and saying, what do they need? How can I help them? How can I push them forward and, and help them with their career, with what they're trying to accomplish? You'd be surprised whenever you focus on others, how much you actually get yourself. You know, you'd be surprised at how much, as we focus on, on other people, how much you end up getting yourself. The opportunities and the doors that open. That's, I think, what Jesus is pointing to. I think that's what Jesus is trying to, to show us. It's like, as you focus on humility, man, doors are going to open. Opportunities are going to happen for you. And God sees it all. Humility is a choice to put others first. All right, the second one here. Humility is about accuracy. Humility is about accuracy. Okay, Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this. For by the grace given to me, 
I say to every one of you, this is the Apostle Paul talking, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Sober judgment. Okay, if someone is, if someone's drunk, they're probably not going to be very accurate with things like walking, certainly not driving. They're not going to be accurate. So the opposite of that would be sober. So if someone could be sober in their judgment, that means their, their judgments can be more accurate. And what the Apostle Paul in the Bible is teaching us here is that we need to be accurate with our judgments about ourselves. Not to think too highly of ourselves, but also the, the other side of that is not to think too lowly of ourselves either. It's about accuracy. Humility is not just thinking to myself, oh, I'm just a, I'm so just a worm of a person. I'm so low. And no, that's not humility at all. That's actually pride just on the other end. Okay, it's, it's bringing attention to yourself. It's loathing. It's becoming a victim. That's, that's not good either. So you want to think accurately about yourself. And so the Bible encourages, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Think of yourself with sober a judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. So what I want to give you is just three reference points on how to, uh, to evaluate yourself. Three reference points, three questions to ask yourself. Like if you're trying to locate yourself, let's say you didn't have your phone, you didn't have any kind of electronic device, you would probably start looking around and start looking for reference points that you could recognize. Like, oh, is, is the bay over there? Is there is that a mountain I recognize? Is that a gas station I can you know, recognize? To try to determine where you are. And so these are three questions that you can ask yourself. Okay, so the first one, the first one is, who am I in relation to God? Who am I in relation to God? Okay, that's an important question to ask yourself. Okay, it's important to recognize that you're not God, Okay. I'm not God. <laughs> now, you ever met somebody or been around somebody or had a boss that was like, they kind of thought they were God. <laughs> like they knew everything. <laughs> they were all powerful. Okay, it's important to know we're not God. I don't know everything. I'm not all powerful. I don't have it all figured out. I'm, I'm not God. I wasn't here when the world was created. <laughs> I haven't been, I wasn't here when the universe was, was made. I'm not any of those things. So now I can start to look and say, okay, who am I in relation to God? Well, I'm, I'm a person. Uh, and, and the fact that, that God has this being probably has an agenda, has a mission. That my uh, mission of just, you know, fulfilling all of my dreams and, you know, the, the mission of, if somebody had the mission of just becoming incredibly wealthy or, or whatever, that's completely just selfish. It takes a moment when we ask that question to say, you know what, this being this God that we're calling it, well, probably has something that he wants to do. Probably has a, a mission, probably has something that he wants me to do. And so asking that question starts to orient, where, where am I? Like, what do I think of myself? Well, who is God? Who am I in relation to God? That's one reference point. The second one is, because on the first one, if you go down the road too far, you can start to say, well, man, God's so big. God's so massive. He's been here forever. I'm just one of 8 billion people on this planet. And then if you count all the people that lived before, probably 100 billion. So I'm like, I'm just insignificant. And then what if there's other universes out there that God made that I don't know? I mean, like you start to go down the, the rabbit hole of that and it's just like, but I'm just like worthless. But that's, that's not humility either because that wouldn't be true. Remember, it's about accuracy. So the second question is this, who, who am I in God's eyes? Who am I in God's eyes? Well, I'm a child of God because I've believed in Jesus. I trusted in him. He's my Lord and Savior. So now I have value. I have worth. 
In fact, even before that, I was made in the image of God. So I have worth and value there. And Jesus, while I was yet a sinner, the Bible says Christ died for me. So I have value even before I became a Christian. So that's where I start to have this reference point of it's almost like counterbalance. Now I'm not gonna think too highly of myself because I'm not God. <laughs> but I also don't wanna think too lowly of myself because God values me. Like he says I'm valuable. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. So now I have this counterbalance to say in humility, like, okay, I wanna look at myself accurately. Like, who am I in relation to God? And what, who am I in God's eyes? And then this third one here. Who am I in relation to others? Who am I in relation to others? So recognize that there's other people in the world. There's other people that have more talents than me. There's other people that have less, you know, talents in particular areas. You always can find somebody that has more, right? You can always find somebody that has less. You can always find somebody more talented in a specific area. And you can always find somebody that's less talented. It's, it's recognizing that there's other people in the world. Isn't this what we do when we're, we're kids? As you, you know, when you're itty bitty, it's all about you. You just cry, you're hungry, you, you want something, you know, and then you start to get older and you start to learn there's other people in the world. <laughs> there's other people that have wants and desires and sometimes they come up against my wants and desires. And I have to, in humility, say, you know what? There's other people in the world. That comes back to that first point there. That in humility, I've got to put others first. It's recognizing there's others in the world. I need to care for them. Okay, this third and final point. Humility is a benefit. Humility is a benefit. First Peter 5, 5 says this. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Shows favor to the humble. You know, there's something amazing about having God's favor on your life. Everyone should want God's favor on your life. Like God being with you, God, uh, God helping you just in whatever endeavor. I mean, the reality is that money can't do very much, you know, knowledge or just information or maybe even another person. But you know what, when you've got God on your side, you know, I love, I, I love that verse that you guys quote all, all the time. If God before you, then who could be against you? I just love that idea. That's really essentially God's favor in your life. That it's like God is with you. And, and what Peter is saying that, hey, if you're humble, God is gonna give you favor. So there's a benefit to being humble for yourself is that God is gonna show you favor. There's a second thing, Proverbs 11 too. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom, comes wisdom. So wisdom is knowledge applied in a beneficial way. Wisdom is knowledge applied in a beneficial way. So you could say favor, when you've got God's favor on your life, he can like work up scenarios that you could never work up on your own. He can make things happen at your work and give you favor with your boss, give you favor with whatever you're, you're working on. So he can, he can make things happen. But then there's also like, God looks at you and says, okay, well, you got to make some decisions yourself though, too. I can't just magically make everything happen for you. Although I'm going to show you my favor, but he wants you to make decisions too. And so what, that's where wisdom comes in is he gives you his wisdom. So then you can make decisions. You can take knowledge applied in a beneficial way. And so now you've got God's favor and then you're getting God's wisdom. And here's a third one. Proverbs 20, 22, 4 says this, humility is the fear of the Lord. It's wages. In other words, what you earn from having humility is our riches and honor and life. Riches, honor, and life. Now the riches may or may not be financial. We know as Christians that riches aren't 
just financial. There's certainly a lot of great things. You can have all the money in the world and have a miserable relationships in your life. You wouldn't be a very rich person, probably, you would say, in that situation. So this isn't just like, oh, God's going to make you a millionaire. In fact, in fact, he, he probably for sure won't because he knows that he doesn't want to give you something that's going to destroy your faith. Because if, but if you choose humility, then he may. He may give you riches, like financial riches. He may entrust that to you so you can bless others and help others. But there's more than just riches in terms of finances. There's lots of other riches in life. So God, the, the point is that in humility, when we've got humility, we choose humility. God's gonna give riches, honor, and life to us. That's what he's gonna give to us. And then this fourth one, this last one here, is Proverbs 25, 9, says this. He guides the humble. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. I know some in here are probably like an action-oriented, get it done, make it happen kind of people. Raise your hand if you're that person. Anybody like that in here? Okay, you're just like, I like, like to get it done. My wife's that way. She was here for a service and, and she's like a get it done, make it happen kind of person. And for those, and sometimes I can, I can be that way. I can just like, oh, I'm just gonna tackle this, make this thing happen. And sometimes for me, and I'm just talking for me, sometimes I can get ahead of God. Sometimes I like get out there ahead of God and then I end up like where I'm not supposed to be and things aren't so great. And then I'm like, ah, help, <laughs> help God. And he's just saying, ah, you didn't wait for me. You, you, you got to learn to be dependent upon me. Did you pray about that? Did you think about that before you made that decision? No, <laughs> sorry. And so God says, okay, I want you to be humble. Choose humility to be dependent upon me. And as you do that, you know what he does? Okay. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. All right. We're going to get out the GPS. Okay. I'm going to help you take your next step. I'm going to help you. Okay. This is the landscape now. He may not show you the whole plan. He usually doesn't. He rarely ever does. He might even, he may even give you a promise down the road, but he's not going to show you all the steps along the way, but he'll show you the next one. If we'll in humility say, God, I don't got this all figured out, but I do trust you and I love you and I want to be dependent upon you. And so God, I in humility recognize that I'm not able, but I recognize that you're able. And so I put my hope and my trust in you. And he says, okay, here we go. I'm gonna guide you. So he can show you his favor. He can give you wisdom. He can give you riches and honor and life. And then he can ultimately guide you all from this choice to simply be humble. No wonder Jesus says, blessed are the humble. Happy are those that choose humility. I can let some other circumstance humble me <laughs> or I can choose humility. I can choose to say, I'm gonna put others first. I'm gonna have an accurate view of myself. I'm gonna choose today humility. So what does this look like? So in your, in your marriage, you know, a good question to ask would be, you know, can I help you with anything? When I get home and I'm tired, I wanna just lay on the couch. Becca's been working hard. She works as well. And she's been working on, on stuff, taking care of the kids. Temptations just to go to the couch and just chill. It's like, ah, oh, I need to put others first. It's choosing humility. I'm gonna ask the question. Hey, is there anything I can help you with? With our kids, it's saying, I'm sorry. I messed up, didn't do something right. Tell my kids, hey, this is the one time in my life I've made a mistake with you. Just kidding. <laughs> you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for making, making that mistake. 
you know, it's with your coworkers, being honest with them and, and saying, hey, I want to push you forward. I'm going to help you. I'm going to put you first. You know, in the church, it's saying, where can I serve? You know, where can I help? Hey, I just want to, I just want to help. This is not about me. It's not about me displaying my gifts or my, any of that. I just, I just want to serve. I just want to serve. That's humility. That's choosing humility. Where, where can I help and bless others? Here at Central, you want to serve. Out, out when you're out and about, you know, when you're uh, shopping, you're at the market, you're driving, <laughs> being kind, choosing humility. You know, recognizing, hey, I sometimes forget to put on my blinker too. <laughs> so it's okay. I don't have to road rage. You know, sometimes I'm in the passing lane, driving cruising speeds way too slow. Actually, no, I don't ever do that. You can get mad about that. Anybody doing that, they get judgment. Okay, no, just kidding. But to be kind, no matter what you do, to be kind, that's choosing humility. I want us to, to pray here and pray that God helps us to, to choose humility the rest of today, this week, this month, the rest of our lives. I believe as we do that, we'll get the promises, what Jesus talked about, the blessed life, to be happy. So let's pray together. Lord, we just love you. We thank you for your goodness.